0: Well, good morning and welcome to our summer teaching series called Roots. If you haven't already guessed, it's an in depth look at the book of Acts. What the book of Acts does, it tells the story of the first century church. It tells the first 30 years of how this small group of people who were following Christ got his message out to a world that desperately needed to hear it. So this summer, we're going through. Several chapters. We won't be able to go through all 29 chapters, but we'll go through several chapters of the book of Acts and just see what the book has to say to us. We're looking at it through two lenses. Lens number one is what did it mean to the people who originally heard it? Lens number two is what does it mean to us today? And that's how we're going to look at every section of Acts that we go through. The book of Acts was written, tells the first 30 years of the church, and it was written by a guy named Luke who who, just like us, came to follow Christ because somebody told him about Christ. And he was so moved by that, he wrote two books, and they made it into the Bible, Luke and Acts. And all summer, we're just going to be looking in to see what God has to say to the church in the 21st century based on what happened in the church in the first century. So week one, we ended it with Jesus telling his disciples after Jesus ascended into heaven, he, he, after he was resurrected, came and met with his disciples, ascended into heaven, and right before he ascended, he told them to go to this city of Jerusalem and wait. And that's where we left it at the end of week one. 120 of Jesus' disciples are in the city of Jerusalem and they're waiting. You can read about that in Acts chapter 2 in those Bibles that are coming up and down the aisles right now. If you don't have a Bible, please take one. We give these out every week at LifePoint. It's yours to keep. We want everybody who wants a Bible to have one in their hand. If you don't know where Acts is, just look in the index in the front, and it'll tell you what page to turn to. So he tells them to wait in Jerusalem, and they know that something big is getting ready to happen because he says, the gift my father promised is going to come. And they're not sure what that means. They, They have some confusion about it. But they're very quickly going to find out what all that means in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, On the day of Pentecost, now this day Pentecost, Pente meaning 50, it was 50 days after the Jewish Passover. So 50 days after the Jewish Passover, here they are in Jerusalem. This is a huge pilgrimage holiday for Jewish people. Thousands would be in Jerusalem for this. And they're going and they're waiting and it picks up and it says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were together meeting in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by these believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. So here it is, 50 days after Passover it's Pentecost and all these thousands of Jewish people are in Jerusalem it's a big deal to them and all of a sudden weird things start to happen wind and flames and sound and and they all start to gather around and God's putting on this special effects show that's better than anything Hollywood could make and people are starting to get interested thinking what what's going on and then all of a sudden, it would be like if, if you were in another country and you were in a crowd of people and they were beginning to speak in their language. So you begin to hear people speak in German and they're speaking back and forth in German. And then somebody over here in the corner starts speaking English. You're going to perk up. And that's what happened. They started to hear all of a sudden the mysteries of God spoken in their native tongue. So everybody in this situation would have been at least bilingual. They would have all known Greek, and then they would have had their native language that they grew up with, kind of like English is today. That's what Greek was in this culture. And so they see this amazing sight, and they start to hear words about God in their own language, and they start to make some observations. And listen to what they say. These people, the ones speaking, are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, and then it names all of the countries. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. So they hear this language, their foreign language, their native language being spoken by a group of people from Galilee. Now, Galilee was a city that was about 70 miles north of Jerusalem. That's like a four-day walk. And the one thing they knew about Galilee was Galilee was a place, it was in the country. So it was all country folk. And in their minds, all uneducated country folk. And they recognized Here are some country folk who shouldn't know three languages because they would know their own language, they would know Greek, and now here's the third language that these country folk know, and this doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. Well, first thing, first question I, I have is how did they know that these people were from Galilee? How'd they even know that? Linguists would say that the Galilean accent is very distinct, it's out in the country. And it's a slurred accent. Not much has changed in 2,000 years. So they hear the message of God spoken by these people, and they know they're from Galilee because they have this country accent. And they're bewildered. They're thinking, how do we hear our language by these blue-collar, uneducated fishermen? How is this possible? Because in their minds, they wouldn't expect somebody from the country to know multiple languages. I mean, still today. I mean, think, about, think about like an, an Appalachian accent, okay? And let's imagine, let's imagine you go to the dentist. And you've got, oh, you just need a root canal. You need a tooth all drilled out and fixed up. And the dentist wheels around in his chair and says, how you doing? It's good to see you here today. Now, here's what we're going to do. I just need you to open your mouth real big, big, big and wide. I mean, big enough a crow could fly in it. And I'm going to stick this drill in there. And I'm going to drill out all that nasty decay and all that stuff. And Jenny here, my assistant, she's going to stick this thing in your mouth. And it's going to pull it all out. And everything's going to be just fine. I know what I'm doing. You would say, uh, excuse, you know, don't put anything metal in my mouth. That's what was going on in their minds. And... What we find out is, and what we know today is, accent has nothing to do with intelligence. You can speak with the most eloquent words and be accentless, but be stupid. And then somebody can speak with a very thick draw, slur, and be one of the most intelligent spiritual people on the face of the earth. So accent really means nothing in reality, but to us today it it still does. And especially to them 2,000 years ago, they were thinking, these are uneducated fishermen from Galilee, and they're speaking this third language. They shouldn't know that. But still, God allowed them to speak it with their accent. See, there was a barrier between those people in Jerusalem and the people in Galilee. There was a barrier. And often they thought they were better than those people. We're better. We're city people. We're better. You poor people out in the country. You don't know anything. That that's that's kind of how it was. There was this big barrier. So why would God allow their country accent to come through when he very clearly could have just, if he's gonna have them speak a language, he could have them perfectly speak it with no accent why would god do that and what does that tell us well it tells me that when god does something like that there must be something a little bit deeper see this is starting to help them realize god accepts everyone and he uses everyone and even though god came into their life and the holy spirit fell upon them god still used their personality their strengths, even their weaknesses. And God does the same thing today. So what would it have meant to them? It would have meant when the Spirit of God shows up, barriers are broken down. It would have meant, even though some of them were amazed, some of them mocked. But in this episode, God takes two groups of people who were very much apart, and He breaks down the barrier. Because they're getting ready to be the first converts, the first people who are going to take this message and share it with a lost world. So they have to have unity. So if there are any barriers between these Jewish people who are following God and these, Galilean, or these Jerusalem people who are following God and these Galilean people who are following God, any barriers have to be broken down if there's going to be unity. And this section of Scripture, if you've ever read it before, has little to do with tongues. Tongues is not the point of this Scripture. A person speaking in tongues is not... You don't open the book of the Bible up and think, okay, now I want to do what they just did. That wasn't even the point that's trying to be made here. The point of this section of Scripture is that God breaks down barriers between people and between people and God. For us, anytime time the Spirit of God is inserted into a difficult situation, barriers can be broken down. Anytime. time. So if you're dealing with relationship barriers, vocational barriers, any place there are barriers in your life, you insert the Spirit of God into that place and barriers can be broken down. That's what happened here. That's the point of this passage. So whatever's going on in your life where you feel like, there's just a space between me and this person, or or where, what I want to do, or or what I think, or any barriers in life can be broken down when the spirit of God is inserted into the situation. So with these barriers broken down, with now these people understand these are just uneducated Galileans, and now we understand them, and so God accepts them. The barriers are broken down, and a very bold man named Peter stands up to preach. The very first sermon, the very first message where someone asks for a response for people to change their lives, Peter is getting ready to get up and say it. And it's in, against that backdrop of all the barriers broken down that Peter stands up and says in verse 14, then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And then later in verse 21, he says, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He's quoting a Hebrew prophet by the name of Joel, and he's talking about this whole prophecy of judgment, but he comes down to what all the people hearing would believe. They believe that the day is coming when everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. City folk, country folk, Gentiles, heathens off in another land, everybody will be saved. So now they're beginning to relate. This thing with all the special effects that's happening has got something to do with our Old Testament prophet Joel. And he goes on to talk about King David from the Old Testament. And he starts to relate how all of that happened. And he starts to tell them about the message of Jesus Christ and just how everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now think of the scene. They're in Jerusalem. They're celebrating 50 days after After the Passover, it's the day of Pentecost. And many of these people who were there in Jerusalem on that day would have been there 50 days prior because it's such a hard thing to travel. I mean, four days to ten days out, four days to ten days back. So when they come to Jerusalem for Passover, this significant Jewish holiday that has its roots all the way back when the Israelites were in Egyptian slavery, and they come to celebrate Passover and they stay. They pitch their tents, they get hotel rooms, they stay with friends. Whatever they have to do, they stay in Jerusalem till the next day, or till the next holiday, which was Pentecost. So what would have happened, if you've read this story, what happened 50 days before that, in the previous Passover? That's when Jesus was crucified. They would have, Some of them there would have witnessed His trial his, his execution and his burial. They, they would have witnessed that, and they would have known this man who said he was the Messiah was executed. He must not have been. Some of the people in this crowd could have been people who followed him during his earthly ministry and determined he must not be who he says he is because he's gone. And if they hadn't have followed him, word would have spread quickly throughout Jerusalem that this man named Jesus was crucified. So here are these thousands of Jews hanging out in Jerusalem. If it would have been much before that or much after, they wouldn't have been there. What better environment to preach the first sermon and start the first church than a place where thousands of religious people are already there to express their commitment and love to God. They're already there. This big, things hap- big thing happens and God shows up in a big way. And that tells me that something, a couple of very important things about God. God's timing is perfect. I mean, it's perfect. All these people are here. If they would have waited much longer, they would have gone back home. But it's Pentecost. They're all here. So God uses that time in the space that people had already created for him to allow them to hear his message in its entirety for the first time. God's timing is perfect. Now think about your life and the things you want to happen and the things that you don't want to happen and the, the things that have happened. And if you're sitting in life right now frustrated that, oh, I want this to happen or I want that to happen and it's just not happening yet. If that's you, you need to know God's timing is perfect. And it's hard to look out in the future and see what God's time is going to be. But look into the past. When I look into the past, I remember times in my life, in my adult life, when I wanted things to go a certain way, but there were these walls and obstacles, and it just didn't work, and I was thinking, God, why is this not working? But I get a few years down the road, and I look back, and I see how God's working in my life, and I can say with certainty that God's timing is perfect, and if it would have been my timing, I would have messed it up. I would have blown it. If I, would have, if I was writing the timeline, I would have, it would have been very different. But God's timing is perfect, even when we don't understand it. Another thing this reveals about the character of God is that He meets us right where we are. He tells this story of Jesus using the Hebrew Scriptures. And He gets to the part in the message where the crowd is probably completely silent. And He says this in Acts 2 verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So here they are. The benefit of God's timing being perfect, they're there. Peter uses the Hebrew Scriptures to reveal God to them. He met them right where they were. And now he reveals to them this Messiah I'm telling you about was crucified because of your sin and because of you not accepting him he is lord and he is christ and then it hit them it hit them and they realized we're far from god we are far from god can you remember the time if you're a christ follower when it finally hit you that you were a long way from god and god was over here and there was this huge gap between you and him I remember the day like it was yesterday. It was in the fall, in September of 1988. And I was, I was in the middle of cramming four years of college into six years. And, and I was living a life that I'm not proud of. That makes me 42, so don't keep, stop trying to do the math. I, I was living a life I'm not proud of. I was 21 years old and And I came in one day after being gone for a few days, and my roommate, who was also far from God, said, Donnie, you need to get a hold of yourself. And I remember thinking, oh, my goodness. And it was like something fell, and the cloudiness went out of my life, out of my mind, and a barrier fell down. And I realized I am far from God. And that one statement by a person who didn't even follow Christ helped God meet me where I was. With perfect timing. And the barrier fell down just a few weeks after that. It was me calling on the name of the Lord to accept his salvation. And it all started because I realized I was a long way from God. That's where these people are. That's where these thousands of people are. All of a sudden they realize, oh no, we're a long way from God. And so they ask the question like we might. Acts 2 verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? See, they were at the end of their rope. They were, it says they were cut to the heart and that's not just like a little cut, that's like a stab. That's what the word means, they were stabbed in the heart. And just like in your life, when you know things aren't right, when you know you need to stop or you know you need to start or you know you need to extend or receive forgiveness, There's this constant stabbing that feels like, oh, when is it going to go away? That's what they were feeling, and they said, what do we need to do? And he responds, Acts 2, verse 38 Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. They wanted to know, how do we get in on this? And he responded by saying, You need to respond. You need to respond to this message that you need to change your heart. That's repent. Change your mind. Turn and walk in a new way. Think in a new way. Something inside of you has to happen. If you're going to receive the forgiveness that God offers and this cutting of your heart goes away, you are going to have to make a change inside and receive all that He has for you the forgiveness, the purpose, the salvation. You've got to make that internal decision. And after you've done that internally, you've got to do it externally. And that's where the idea of baptism came in. The first time in the the New Testament church when you hear it being talked about. Now to these people listening to Peter, repentance and baptism was nothing new to them. Because they would have known that somebody who needs to be baptized is a person that needs to show that I used to be over here and now I'm here. And if you wanted to become a Jew, you know how you became a Jew? You went through a lot of other stuff first, but then you, that kind of culminated in this experience. Mikvah is what it was called. And they were lowered into the water and raised back up out of the water to show, I've made a commitment and I'm living a new life. I'm now this, I was that. And for, to them, baptism was this outward symbol that this person has made a big decision. So they would have understood, we're on the outside and we need to change two ways you became a Jew if you want to outwardly show it. One, males went through circumcision. Number two, you could be baptized. I don't know about you, but I would have been in the baptism line personally. That's what I would have chose to become a Jew. So they understand repentance means a change of mind. Baptism means to immerse in water, to overwhelm, to make fully wet. That's talking about the waters of baptism. And baptism really confuses some people. Because when it comes to baptism, people have a tendency to do a couple things. One, they'll trivialize it. Well, you don't have to do that. It's not important. You don't need to do it. You know, you don't need to be baptized. And then some people fixate on it. And then they treat baptism like Acts 2.38 as some kind of formula that's supposed to be followed. And if you follow that formula correctly, then everything's okay. And if you miss out somehow, you know, it's a smoking section for eternity for you. You know that? I mean, they fixate on it. The Bible knows nothing of people fixating on baptism or trivializing baptism. Both are not biblical. But what's biblical is that baptism is this outward ceremony of a, as, as a response to what Jesus Christ has done in someone's life. And when you read Acts 2.38, you need to know that good, honest, God-fearing, Christ-following people disagree. It's one verse that kind of like, well, what does this mean exactly? And it says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's a little word there, for, is also a Greek word. It's a little three-letter word, E-I-S. And some people say, well, that word sometimes means uh, you do something in order to receive something or you do something because you've already received something. You you see what I mean? Some people say, do this in order to receive it. Some people say, do it uh, because you've already received it. And I'm not willing to bank my eternity on a three letter word that's found in one verse in the book of acts i'm not i'm not going to focus on a uh, one little um words you want to focus on the word so what does the word say when it comes to baptism when we read the whole book of Acts, because the book of Acts is the book of conversions, it's people saying, I no longer want to be outside, I want to be on the inside. And when you just stop reading Acts 2.38 and continue to read through people it responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ every single time. This is not LifePoint's belief or Donnie's belief didn't originate with us. This is what Scripture says every time just read the examples, that somebody had a relationship and an experience with Christ and made that decision to follow Him, it was somewhere in there baptism took place. In Scripture, there are no people who accepted Christ in the first century church that did not go through this ceremony of baptism. It's just not there. Now, Peter, he, he preaches another sermon later, and he says, repent and times of refreshment will come to the Lord. But even when those people repented, God forgives their sins. Baptism, even repentance doesn't forgive your sins. Jesus Christ forgives your sins. But there are responses that people took in the first century. One of those was baptism. And that's what baptism is. Just a response to what Christ has done. And because it's been trivialized or fixated on, people have some really you know, uneasy beliefs about it. When we ask at LifePoint, hey, we're having a baptism service. Love for people to come and participate in that. One next week. At the YMCA, if you want to be baptized next week, flip over your WhatsApp card, check it, and you can participate in that baptism celebration next week. Baptism only has value for people who have accepted the message of Jesus Christ. It's the only time it has value. You can dunk people in the water all day long. It's not going to make him, make him a Christian or a Christ follower. I have a ring on my finger, and this ring is an outward symbol that I love my wife, that I'm fully committed to her, and our relationship, as long as both of us are on this earth, is never going to end. You could come down here if you're single, and I could place this ring on your finger. It's not going to make you married. What's powerful is the commitment behind this ring, what it all stands for. And for me to say, I'm not wearing a ring. I'll go through your little wedding ceremony, but I'm not wearing a ring. You would say, well, what's the deal? Don't you want people to know? Don't you want people to understand? That's why that was one of the first steps people took as a follower of Christ was to be immersed. And some of you, you, maybe you missed out on that. For whatever reason, whether you're around people that trivialized or fixate on it, you, you missed it. And you repented and you asked Jesus Christ and you received His forgiveness and you missed it. We don't want to negate the experiences you've had with Christ up until now. We just want to teach you what the Scripture says. Scripture says people who accept Christ are baptized. Next week, many of you probably need to flip that card over and check baptism because you need to do that. That's what these people would have heard in the first century. That's what it means for us today. Acts 2 verse 41 says, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. 3,000 people accepted the message of Christ, received the salvation that only Jesus Christ can offer, and then they followed that up with, We're going to show this outwardly. We're going to go through this ceremony. This what, what in Romans chapter six it talks about being lowered into the waters of baptism and raised to walk in new life. Raised in that that symbolic act that shows our new life in Christ, being what it was like to be dead to dead to Christ and then lowered in the water of baptism and raised to walk in new life. That's the symbolism that this immersion has. This passage tells us that God's timing is perfect and that he meets us where we are and that many times in our lives we need to have the same attitude these thousands of people did and we say, what should we do? And what was true for them is true for us. What should we do? 3,000 people. That was a ratio of 25 new people to every one person that was already a follower of Christ. And they developed this amazing way to Help people grow in their faith and take next steps. And we're going to talk about that next week. But when you read this section of Scripture, I know in a room this size, some people, it's, it's, it's hitting you. And you're thinking, I need to change my way of living and thinking. And I need to go through that repentance and turn and walk in a new way. Maybe you've already done that and you missed out on baptism. And you're saying, i got to get in on that. I can't believe I missed it. Go home and read the book of Acts. You'll hear see person after person going through that. So some of you need to do both of those things. You have an opportunity. You don't have to wait. If you don't want to wait until next week, just go talk, talk to me or Mark after the services. We'll, we'll get it done somehow if you want to do it today. Let's pray. God, as we go through this book of Acts, there are challenging scriptures. There are times when it's very challenging to read it against our religious background or our church background or just in our life. But God, may we obey what your scriptures say to do. I pray this in Jesus' name.